Daniel Barnett here. Enrolment for the 2025 Virtual Employment Law Academy is now open. Go to www.virtualemploymentlawacademy.com for more information. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Daniel Barnett here, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of Employment Law Matters. Now, we've got something slightly different for you this week. I run, as you may know, a membership community called the HR Inner Circle, www.hrinnercircle.co.uk, which is the UK's leading community for smart, ambitious HR professionals. Every three weeks, we hold a Q&A session where members dial into a live Zoom Q&A session and either I or a guest barrister will answer all of the members' questions. It tends to be a very two-way street, so we'll unmute somebody's mic, they'll ask a question, I'll answer, we have a bit of a chat until they're 100% happy and they've got the exact answer they want and then we move on to the next person. And it can take an hour to go through everyone or we can keep going and going until everyone's questions are answered. Now, what I thought I'd do for this episode of Employment Law Matters is give you some examples of what these questions are actually like in real life. Now, these are all real questions that have been asked in the Q&A sessions for the HR Inner Circle, but we've anonymized the questioners and we've also used a voice artist to record the questions so that you can't hear and recognize their voices. And I'm giving short answers as opposed to the much fuller answers that I give during a live Q&A session in real life. There's also no interaction, so I'm not asking questions back and drilling down to get more details. It's just a straight answer to the straight question that I'm asked. We're giving you seven Qs and seven A's, seven questions and answers in this episode, Uh, but you can also get, if you like the format of this sort of thing, a book that I've just released called HR Hazards. HR Hazards. It's available on Amazon. And in that book, HR Hazards, I actually have 70, 70 questions that have been asked in live HR Inner Circle Q&A sessions, along with model answers written by me. You can get that on Amazon, HR Hazards. Or indeed, if you fancy joining in one of these sessions, we have them every three weeks, you can join the HR Inner Circle. And that way you'll be able to join in these regular Q&A sessions, plus get all the other benefits of membership, including a monthly hard copy magazine, a monthly audio seminar, live access to an incredibly busy and vibrant online forum for HR professionals, free copies of all the small books that I write, including HR Hazards. The next one to be published in June 2021 is on employment status, and any members will get a free copy of that sent to them in the post plus a whole lot more www.hrinnercircle.co.uk just before we start a quick thank you to carrie topcat who said this on itunes i always look forward to listening to daniel short and sweet but jam-packed with useful information keep them coming please Thank you, Carrie Topcat. Short and sweet. That's a a perfect description of me. If you want to send your real name and your address to podcast at danielbarnett.co.uk, we'll send you out one of my books as a thank you for putting that review on the iTunes store. And now on with the Q&A. Welcome to Employment Law Matters with Barrister Daniel Barnett. Can an employer require a junior employee to alert them to potential data protection breaches by other members of staff? Well, in the same way that an employer can require an employee to do anything, as long as it's reasonable and lawful order, which it will be, and it can go in the contract, 
and the employee can be required to do it. I think, though, the real question here is if they don't comply, if they don't alert the employer to potential data breaches by other members of staff, can we sack them? And if there's nothing in the contract, it's quite difficult to compel somebody to do something. But what you can do by amending your disciplinary process is say that you're introducing a new gross misconduct offence of failing to disclose a data protection breach and say going forward it will be a disciplinary offence to fail to disclose a data protection breach by either yourself or a work colleague. I'd give a six-month moratorium where you say in the first six months of implementing this so everyone gets used to it the maximum sanction we'll impose is a first written warning. But after that, depending on the severity, we might regard it a lot more seriously. And if you'd like to see a disciplinary policy and a data protection policy that does already include that, have a look at my ones at www.policies2020.com. As part of cost-saving measures, a client's directors have decided the directors and the two senior managers should reduce their pay by 15%, probably only for a period of time. One of the managers is refusing. Is it reasonable to dismiss him for some other substantial reason? Yes, that should be fine. As long as you can prove the business needs to make the cuts in order to secure the future of the business, as long as it's not just a way of cutting the pay of two senior managers by directors who have huge dividends and the 15% cut of salary is fairly meaningless to the future prosperity and security of the business. If you can prove it's needed to protect the business and the company is having problems, you should be absolutely fine. It'll be a fair, some other substantial reason dismissal. An alternative to make it even safer, is not to reduce their pay by 15%, but to defer 15%. So you say when the business gets back in order again and has more money, that money will be paid to you, the deferred salary will be paid to you, assuming you're still in employment. If you've left, you don't get it. That's quite useful for retention purposes as well. And of course, and I have to say this, if the business doesn't recover and does eventually go under, well, it's the same effect as not having paid the 15% in the first place because there'll be creditors and they'll probably never actually get the money. What do we need to think about if someone's hired to report to a director position, but then through a restructure, it's proposed they report to a manager? Is it a demotion or a variation in terms and conditions? Is the employee likely to object? Of course they're uh, likely to object, and of course it's a demotion, but it's one you're probably entitled to make if either the terms and conditions of employment say we can change your job description or your reporting structure or change this position at any time, and any well-drafted contract will say that. It's not nearly as serious a demotion as a cut in pay, and as long as you can show a good sound business reason you're not going to have any problem. I wouldn't even bother with a dismissal and rehiring because this isn't a situation where you need to worry about six years down the line being sued for back pay. I'd say, look, you're now reporting to this person. If you don't like it, sue us for constructive dismissal. 
A manager who suffers from stress, anxiety, and depression raised a grievance against one of his team, alleging bullying. Several of the allegations were upheld, and the investigation officer made a recommendation that a disciplinary is heard to deal with some of the bullying. The bullying behavior included badmouthing the manager to others and using very mild swearing to his face. The area manager wants to deal with it informally rather than through a formal disciplinary. I'm HR, and I'm worried the area manager is not taking it seriously enough, and the stress being caused may continue. How should we proceed? Well, in the scheme of things, this bullying behaviour—a bit of bad mouthing the manager to others and using very mild swearing—sounds pretty minor. Although I do understand the cumulative effect of all of this can be quite significant. The question is whether, if there's no disciplinary outcome as a result of the grievance finding. The company has acted in a way which is likely to destroy or seriously damage the employment relationship between the company and the manager, and I think it probably has. That means it's constructive dismissal. Of course, it's a defence to a constructive dismissal claim if the company has good reason, but I don't think the area manager not taking things seriously is a good reason. So, assuming he's worked for two years, I think the manager who's raised the grievance and whose grievance has been upheld would have a claim of constructive dismissal if something's not done about the bullying formally, because the manager's invoked a formal process. I don't think the subordinate team member needs to be dismissed. I think a verbal warning is enough, given the relatively mild nature of the bullying. But perhaps a middle ground could be a letter of concern. Without holding a formal disciplinary process, write a letter of concern to the employee, saying this letter has been placed in your file. We don't want to see any similar behaviour, or it will result in the disciplinary process. That's a nice, neat middle ground, which will probably satisfy the manager who lodged the grievance, and that's what I'd do in this situation. If a client retains personal records for three years, is it reasonable for an HR consultant to retain them for six years? Shortest answer ever: yes. Slightly longer answer: <laughs> yes, because an HR consultant can be sued for negligence for six years. So you need to keep that information for at least six years to defend a potential claim of negligence. If we have hourly paid field engineers, can we pay them minimum wage rather than their hourly wage for travel time at the beginning or end of the day and during the day? Payment for travel during the day is governed purely by the contract. If the contract allows for payment at a reduced rate, then that's that. Remember that with minimum wage, you're averaging out the total salary received every week or every month. So you're not looking at any particular. Hour, and if during the other hours the individuals earn a lot more than the minimum wage, reducing their pay for travel time even down to zero may not bring the average over the weekly or monthly period down to below minimum wage. If they're peripatetic workers and they're going to their first place of work or leaving their last place of work in the day. Then the definition of working time for the working time regulations does actually cover the time they spend going to their first place of work and coming home from their last place of work. 
But that's not the case for the Minimum Wage Act or the National Minimum Wage Regulations. The definition of working time for the minimum wage laws doesn't cover, doesn't include going to your first place of work or leaving your last place of work. So as an employer, you don't even need to worry about paying anything for that period of time. This episode is supported by Beverly Hills Bakery, offering worldwide gift delivery of baskets and tins filled with freshly baked mini muffins, cookies, brownies and cupcakes. A perfect thank you gift for your staff. Find out more at beverlyhillsbakery.com. That's B-E-V-E-R-L-Y, beverlyhillsbakery.com, or by using the links in the show notes below. If a trade union representative wants to cross-examine a witness in a disciplinary hearing, are we obliged to let them? You don't have to. There's no obligation to allow a witness to be cross-examined by an employee or a union rep. During a disciplinary hearing, the law is absolutely crystal clear on that. You're the employer, you're the person who can, and you're the person who should be doing it. You do have an obligation to put any questions to that witness that the employee wants asked, but you don't need to allow the employee or the trade union rep to do it. So you can ask them for the list of questions they want you to ask the witness And then you have to ask those questions. And it's a good idea to make sure that conversation is carefully noted or recorded. But having said that, if the employee is a sensible one or the union rep is a sensible one, and let's face it, most people are, why not let them ask some questions? They'll be happier. They'll feel they've had a fairer opportunity to put their case. And it takes away an argument they might try to run in a tribunal. And also, I think, makes them less likely to bring a tribunal case, because they'll feel they've had a fair crack at the whip and they'll have been able to see with their own two eyes the way the witness has answered the questions. And that's it. Thank you for listening. If you like this Q&A format, let me know at podcast at danielbarnett.co.uk and we'll do some more. I think they're quite good fun, so I'll do it if enough people ask me. I did say right at the beginning I'd talk about the HR in a circle briefly because this is really a kind of synopsis of the monthly Q&As that we have in the HR in a circle. You can get much more information at www.hrinnercircle.co.uk. It's a service I offer to smart, ambitious HR professionals. About 10% of our members are solicitors who like to join as well. And all members get, amongst other things, monthly online Q&A sessions where you dial in, I open up lines one by one, you ask me questions, we discuss, we debate, I answer them, and then we move on to the next person and on and on and so forth. And afterwards, the transcripts are typed up and you get a full transcript as well, either so you can go back and look at the answers to the questions you asked, or if you weren't able to join in the live webinar, so you can see the questions that other people have asked. You also get a monthly audio seminar. Now, these are typically about 45 minutes long. They're more detailed than these podcasts, and they're much more practical as well. So I talk on subjects, really practical subjects, and you get an MP3 sent to you every single month without fail. Some of the recent topics that I've talked on include managing sickness absence, shared parental leave, 
working time claims, whistleblowing and forthcoming ones over the next few months include holiday pay, tackling sexual misconduct and lots more lined up. So you get the online Q&As, you get the monthly audio seminar, you also get a monthly magazine. It's a 24-page hard copy magazine delivered straight to your door 11 times a year. We don't do one in August. And it's packed with content to make your life easier, including Daniel's Diary, which is an article I write every month about what's current, big lesson of the month, legal updates, and lots, lots more. You also get access to a private online discussion group. Now, I don't know about you, I find that when I join online discussion groups, I get tremendously excited because I think they're going to solve all my problems. And I log in and I post a question or two. And before you know it, nobody's answered. Three days have gone and I never log in again. This group is as far removed from that as you can imagine. If you post a question within two hours, you will get maybe five, maybe eight, maybe 12 fellow HR professionals sharing their experience, sharing documents if you ask for a template, and just helping you with the answer. Because what you can guarantee is another member of the HR in a circle will have been there and done that. It's an incredibly, incredibly informal and friendly place to be with a great sense of community. So as well as the online Q&As, the monthly audio seminar, the monthly magazine, the online discussion group, we also have an annual conference, which is completely free, completely free for all members. And I don't speak at this other than chairing it, but I do put together an incredible lineup of the UK's and sometimes international most charismatic speakers, people you just won't see elsewhere because other organisations other than the biggest banks and the biggest businesses don't have the budget to pay for these people to come and stand on a stage. They're great, great speakers. You get substantial discounts on everything else that I do. So, for example, the new set of policies and contracts I've just launched, which is at policies2020.com, is £895. But if you're a member of the HR Inner Circle, it's £395, a 55% discount. You also get access to a back catalogue of nearly five years worth of audio seminars, of Q&A recordings and transcript, of conference recordings, of all my masterclass recordings, of all our magazines. It is called The Vault and it is the biggest archive of fabulous HR material that you could possibly imagine. So if you're interested, do join us. It's www.hrinnercircle.co.uk. Say that you've joined when you fill in the form online. Say that you've joined as a result of hearing Employment Law Matters podcast, because if you do, we'll send you as a welcome gift six free books that I've written. Six free books. So have a look. It's www.hrinnercircle.co.uk. Membership is £86 a month plus a VAT and there's no notice period, no minimum term. You can leave at any time. I look forward to seeing you inside the community. Otherwise, I'll speak to you on next week's podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Any information on this podcast is for general guidance only. Always seek legal advice. Please see full terms at www.danielbarnett.co.uk forward slash podcast terms.